Hello, I'm Sarah Vine and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mail Plus with my great friend Imogen Edwards-Jones. Coming up on today's show, were the Norwegian handball ladies team right to refuse those stupid tiny weeny little bikini bottoms in competitions? They got fined. I think it's ridiculous, but can Liz Jones change my mind? We'll also be joined by superwoman Nicola Horlick and the Mail's newest columnist, beauty expert Hannah Betts, will come and chat to us about her new column. Plus, the country has been hit by several flash floods in the past week. What can you do if you have been affected? But before that, Imogen, how are you? Hello, I'm very well. How are you? Good. I'm under house arrest, I'm afraid. I know, you've been track and tracied. Is that right? I've been track and tracied. I've been called up. I've been visited. And uh, my main crime is to have gone to see my mum in France. Your 81-year-old mother in France, yes. Exactly. And honestly, I mean, I literally sat and spent in isolation there. So effectively, <laughs> I've been quarantined yeah. for about about three weeks now. And do you feel <laughs> do you feel a tiny little bit like a criminal in your own home? It's a very weird feeling. I mean, on the first day they turned up and they asked for my identification in my own house. And I, it felt very weird. It felt quite sort of like, like the Gestapo. Uh, what was something from a different era? So, it like, so very... you had you had to prove that you were actually living in the house, did you? Yes. Yeah, I had to prove my address, hmm. my date of birth, and I had to, had to come up with a photographic ID. Hmm. But I, I've already had the double vaccine, and weirdly, I think the whole thing is changing on Monday anyway. Hmm. Yeah. According to reports, so just for one week only, <laughs> you're a criminal of having gone to France. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I think I think there's something for, for me. There's something that always just makes the red mist descend about things like that. It's it's. Uh, a, yes. I think the young people call it a trigger. Yes, I went. To, well, I think it's just having and releasing one's inner Karen. Yes. <laughs> My Karen just went full tonto. I'm just, afraid just came out. <laughs> but so so apart from being uh, track and traced, have you been flooded? Because a lot of people have. I have been flooded. Yes. Well, not very badly. I think mm. I had what's known as a mild ingress. Right. Um, sounds a bit rude. Uh, it does sound a bit rude. Well, I live in sort of NW6, right. which is in one of the parts of London that is, uh, it's called a hidden river syndrome. Oh. The Victorians, I think, sort of grabbed a whole load of rivers and put them in pipes and said, yeah. well, you know, nothing to see here. So the problem is, once it rains, there's plenty to see here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I've got a friend who's, whose entire basement has been flooded. When I say basement, I mean sort of ground floor, which is her kitchen, and one of her children's bedrooms and and she's knee high in sewage raw sewage in sewage yes it's yeah. it's the it's turd that yes. comes up which is yes. the problem oh god and it really smells i mean even my mild ingress yes. is quite smelly anyway i have been i've been incredibly lucky um anyway we are going to be joined by rebecca reed who is a journalist whose home was flooded earlier in the year so rebecca tell me what happened to you so I had quite a significant flood in January. It was about a week after Christmas and the sewers and drains where I live, which is a kind of new build in central London, mm. weren't being properly maintained. Mm. So my flood was unusual. It came up through the floor, sort of like a horror film. Oh Usually um, it comes in from a fixed point or it comes up through the bath, or through the loo, but mine was coming up. Or it's just sheer weight of water, that. but this was actually coming exactly. up through your floorboards. Yeah, so through the floorboards and it was sort of all the, you know, where your door frames are, mm. there are 
actually often little tiny holes so it's coming up through there and there was absolutely nothing that could be done we just had to stand there waiting and watching as it got worse how fast was it it was slow so on the first day um i noticed there were a couple of small wet patches and Mm. then they got a bit bigger and we went to bed because i didn't know what i'd called and called and called frantically and nobody was taking me seriously and i sort of assumed it wouldn't get much worse so i went to bed and I woke up at about six o'clock the next morning and I got and I got out of bed, swung my feet down onto the floor and they went down into water before they hit the carpet. Oh my oh god. My god. <laughs> but but so so it wasn't it- was it was it a rain? Was it? It wasn't like it was it raining. No, it, it wasn't there. like now. No, no, no. It wasn't. So mine wasn't um, an act of God flood. Mine was an act of people not doing their jobs properly. Incompetence. Um, and yeah, flood. it was. It was the water was yellow. It was not good. Mm. So did you have to replace all the carpets and everything? How quickly yeah. did it rise? So, and how quickly did it fall? So it rose over a course of about probably twelve hours. Mm. But yeah, we had to have all the carpets removed, all of the floorboards removed. The floorboards were warped. It stank like nothing I can describe. Mm. The carpets, which were actually fairly grim anyway, luckily, had yeah. to be removed. <laughs> so yes, then six weeks of intensive drying. And then it happened again because they didn't fix the problem properly. Oh my God. So can I um, ask you, your insurance, were you insured? So I had taken out insurance a week and a half previously. Right. Okay. Fine. I had never had contents insurance before and I turned 30 yeah. and I thought that seems like the sort of responsible adult thing <laughs> yeah. that you should have. You so should get I, some... I, but I can't tell you how much my insurance provider thought that I was a fraud case. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. Yes. But they're but really they're, they're really resistant. And did they, because I've got a friend who's been flooded literally in the last two weeks and her insurance company told her that she'd have to wait two weeks before they'd send the loss adjuster. So she's just got to sit. She can't yeah. do anything. Was that what happened to you? So I was fairly ferocious. Also, I'm freelance self-employed, so I had a sure. lot of time to throw yeah. at the problem. And what I learned was just don't accept any answer you don't like. Right. So initially, yes, we were also told that they couldn't do much. But it transpired that actually, if you have insurance, your buildings or contents will both probably include a certain amount of money for alternative accommodation. Right. Even your contents insurance will probably have about £30,000 of alternative accommodation, which would cover, even in central London, covers quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> a couple of nights at the Ritz. Yeah, I don't. Know, I don't know if they gave me the option to say you can either stay at the Rosewood for a week or you can get an Airbnb for six months. But it did. We actually rented an Airbnb in the same building in which we live on a higher floor, right? Which was a godsend because it meant we could pop back and forth to get things yeah. if we needed to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you should push for alternative accommodation as a yeah. first port of call. And also, lots of people think they don't have insurance because they don't personally, you know, they haven't taken out sort of specific content policy. But there are lots of layers to that. If you're a renter, you may well find that your landlord has, has landlord insurance. They yeah. should do. And also, if you live in a flat, somebody, unless you have a share of the freehold, I think is correct, then there will be insurance for the building, which may right. well cover you. Can you be insured later now, though? Can you be reinsured now? I mean, half the problem is, you know, all places up in, in Yorkshire and all those parts of the UK where they've had terrible... And Somerset. ...regular yeah. basis in Somerset. Their real problem is they can't get reinsured again. They'll pay out once, but they won't do it again. Is that so? True, I still have they? the same. I still have the same insurance policy that I had when it started. Mm. Um, it may be that my premium goes up when the initial terms of the policy are expired. Mm. But the main thing that the insurance company will want to understand is why did it happen and how can we make sure it won't happen again. Mm. So my insurance company 
by the time you know this was settled and it was a six-month process, mm. they had established exactly what the problem was and how to prevent it. The issue with floods, like in some of the places in Yorkshire, is that it is a really unfortunate, very cruel fact of living in that area mm. that flooding mm. is going to probably be part of your life. And how long, just in terms of woman hours, how long do you think it's taken you to resolve this problem? So we tried to calculate it because I'm self-employed yeah. and because... Who's going to pay for that? Book. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I had a novel that was due in. I'm a journalist. I had to tell them it down. I think we worked out it was about 220 hours. Right. If mm. you include the physical, you know, the moving and the unpacking yeah. and the phone calls and the logistics. And it did. It took a very genuine toll on my work. And if I, w- if I had a proper job, inverted commas, then I think we would have had a much, much harder time of it. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have been able to drop everything to do a Skype call with somebody no. who needs to pr- have proof that my carpet's ruined. Yeah. God. <laughs> what a nightmare. Well, thank Thank you very much Rebecca that's I'm sure I'm sure listeners will find that quite helpful is there a sort of resource for have you, have you discovered any sort of super websites or anything like that um so I have a very big long twitter thread and if anybody wants to get in touch I'm Rebecca CN Reed on twitter and I'm always happy to help a fellow flood person and then also arc arc flooding resources and citizens advice bureau will be as helpful as they possibly can brilliant thanks very much Rebecca so Imogen, change mm. Vine's mind this week is tiny weeny bikini bottoms. Have you seen this story about the Norwegian beach handball team refusing to I wear have. tiny Those pants? I have. Those ones that give you cystitis. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they are so small. They are really, really small. They're smaller than Tom Daly's pants, and that's quite small. But they are really small. Yeah. I think it's a very odd thing. I do remember Isn't when it? I did athletics, you know, uh, in the last century, we used to wear knickers, but they were quite big knickers. Yes. They, these are basically like playing, like doing sport in a thong. It is a bit. And also it's really bizarre because they just want to wear shorts. I don't understand why, why they've been fined. It's sort of like, sorry, ladies, unless you're prepared to perform semi-naked, you can't. It's very bizarre. It really seems quite sexist, I'm, I fear. It seems a very odd, yeah. odd way. Yeah. And they do show quite a lot of buttock. But also, why, honestly, quite a lot of waxing needed because they are really skimpy. <laughs> I mean, surely just easier to wear a pair of cycling shorts. As <laughs> if they weren't busy enough. I mean, exactly. Training. There you are training 47 hours a day and you've also got to try and wax. Because you your pants yeah. are so stupid. Anyway, apparently Liz Jones, the brilliant male on Sunday columnist, doesn't agree with me. Liz, Imogen and I think they're a bit tiny. What do you think? I mean, apparently you think they're okay. Well... I mean, personally, I'm a bit like Bridget and I wear very big pants. Yeah. But I think I've sort of got two things to say about this. First of all, the gymnasts and the volleyball players, I kind of think their bodies are like machines. I mean, I don't think of them sexually and they're their instruments. They're they're sort of like ballerinas, really. And if anyone looks at them sexually, that's their problem. Mm. And people, you know, like Tom Daly, don't seem to have a problem with wearing tiny, tiny trunks. And I think there's a beauty about it. And as someone who wears big pants, watching them on telly, watching Tom or watching Simone Biles, you think, God, they're just so, they're just perfection and they're so beautiful. And I sort of want to see it. And it's a bit like my attitude to Love Island, really. What's wrong with girls who've got lovely bodies walking around in bikinis? (laughs) (laughs) My view is, if they feel uncomfortable in those pants, which they clearly do because they don't want to wear them, then they shouldn't have to wear them. I just have a real problem with the Olympic Committee or whoever it is telling women what to wear. I mean, it's not as though they're asking to wear sort of, you know, rah-rah skirts they're just asking to wear some shorts i mean i think really the athletes ought to be able to make their own decisions i don't understand 
why they've intervened with the with the beach volleyball team. They're not. This is the beach handball team, and not with the gymnastics. It's almost as though beach handball is a sport that has to be played by hot girls in bikinis. <laughs> but then, then where do you stop, really? I mean, if you watch Wimbledon, they're all wearing these tiny little skirts and you can mm. see their knickers and they're shoving the balls up their knickers and everything. Mm. So are we just going to cover all women up forever and be like Kabul in the 1990s <laughs> where women wore burkas? Very good point. Very good point, Liz. Thank you very much. But I'm not, I'm, I, I still don't agree with you. I still don't think they should have to wear those pants. We should, we should agree to disagree. We will disagree. have to agree to disagree. You haven't changed my mind, Liz. You are listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine, and Imogen Edwards-Jones. You can visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces, and more. And if you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Westminster Wag. Nicola Horlick made millions as an investment fund manager, but has managed to balance her career with being a mother to six children, earning her the name Superwoman. Today, she chairs the Anthony Nolan charity, which provides stem cells and bone marrow for people with blood cancers, a topic close to her heart after the loss of her eldest, Georgina, to blood cancer in 1998. Nicola joined us now. Hi, Nicola. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm always in awe of six children. I, I barely managed to do two, so I've no mm-hmm. idea how you've managed six. Tell me about a little bit about the charity and and why do you decided to get involved? Yeah, well, in fact, Georgie, my eldest daughter, as you said, had mm. leukemia when she was she was diagnosed when she was two, mm. and when she was eleven, she actually had a bone marrow transplant, mm. and we were lucky in that there were two potential donors, Mm -hmm. and they were sourced by the Anthony Nolan Mm. charity, which was then called the the Anthony Nolan Bone Marrow Trust. Mm -hmm. And so we went ahead and had the transplant. And in fact, I mean, she she very sadly died when she was 12, but she didn't die of leukemia. The the actual transplant worked. Mm. She died of an infection in her lungs, a fungal infection. So sorry. Yes, it was really, really very terrible but it, it, because of my involvement with looking for a donor mm. and you know talking to Great Ormond Street about Anthony Nolan that made me realize how important the work of Anthony Nolan is. How difficult is it to donate bone marrow and stem cells? Well because nowadays there aren't as many bone marrow transplants as there used to be because techniques have, have advanced and mm. stem cells are used most of the time now. When you donate bone marrow, that is actually quite a painful thing. and You have to have a general mm. anaesthetic and a massive needle stuck in your hip and so on. Mm. But with stem cells, it's like giving blood. Right. You know, so that is not very onerous or difficult. Um, they do have to do, obviously, huge numbers of tests to make sure that people mm. don't have viruses. And yeah. you know, now there's COVID as well. But, you know, there are certain viruses that lurk in the blood and so on that they have to look for HIV and you know, or hepatitis And can you turn well. the stem cells into bone marrow? Is that what happens? Or am I, I'm sorry, I'm no, not very good at no. this sort of thing. I don't understand how it works. I mean, it, you know, it depends on what disease you're trying to cure. And, right. you know, there's a whole range of them. But let's just take leukemia. Mm. So with leukemia, your stem cells, if you have leukemia, your stem cells aren't doing the right procedure to create mm. healthy blood. 
So instead of your stem cells converting into either red blood cells which carry oxygen around your body or white cells which carry your immune system or platelets which stop you from bleeding to death, you know, mm. they're the clotting bit of the blood, you will get lots and lots of immature cells which don't convert into anything and crowd out the normal healthy cells. And that's mm. why someone who's diagnosed with leukemia will be very pale and mm. have lots of bruises and have bleeding gums and so on and so forth and, and have lots of infection. Mm. And so what you're trying to do when you're treating them, initially, you know, chemotherapy will be used. And it's like having a dirty bath full of water and you're mm. draining the bath and draining out all the bad stuff mm. and then trying to get the body to produce healthy cells again. Mm. And if the chemotherapy doesn't teach them to do that, then what you do is you try and obliterate the marrow your natural marrow and put somebody else's marrow in or give an infusion of stem cells which hopefully will get the body back into the right rhythm. It's a very, very major thing. I mean, apart from anything else, I mean, when, when Georgie had a, a, a bone marrow transplant, she had to have total body irradiation, which is horrible because that meant she was going to be uh, infertile. It must have been incredibly hard trying to manage you know, a child with serious illness and your career. I mean, especially back in sort of the the 90s when things were even less sort of, you know, family, women friendly. How did, how did you manage it all? How did you get through it? I always kept an open mind. I mean, I never said I'm going to work come what may. Mm. I, you know, I, I had to be realistic. You know, there may have been a point where I couldn't go on working and there were. Mm. I mean, there was a whole year that I spent in Great Ormond Street the last year of Georgie's life. Georgie and I together mm. sat in Great Ormond Street for a year. You know, she had to have her bone marrow transplant. They had to get her into remission. Then she had to have the bone marrow transplant. Then she had very bad what's called graft-versus-host disease. So then she had terrible diarrhea and she couldn't eat and she had to be put on a trip to you know, be yeah. intravenously fed. So we got stuck there for a very long period. And that was... I mean, it wasn't the work that was the issue. It was the other children. Yes, I was going to and say, how did now, they cope? Yes. Well, well, even now, I think I, I realise that they have been very badly affected by that. Yeah. I, I think every single one of them has been really badly affected, A, by us having to battle for 10 years against leukaemia and then losing that battle. Mm. And, and then the other thing was that separation from me for long yeah. periods. Yeah, and of course, before any sort of FaceTime or anything like that, you know. Yeah, I mean, no. not well, I did actually manage to persuade them to have my computer, which in those days was a huge, massive mm. thing. Yeah. They, they let me have that in the room, and I managed to Gosh. connect it to a network. So I could send emails. I mean, this was 1998, yeah. so, you know, there were emails then. But that was quite helpful for Georgie as well, because I put one or two, you know, sort of games on there for her to play. Yeah. But actually, the other thing that was really upsetting was there was a terrible sort of famine in Sudan, and there were lots of images on television of children yeah. with distended tummies and so on. And Georgie said to me at one stage, Mummy, why are they wasting all this money on my transplant when I'll probably die, when they could give that money to UNICEF or someone to buy some food for those children, and then those children would live. Oh, my she was a very unselfish person. There's nothing worse than your child saying, I'm so sorry, Nicola, that must have been awful for you. Yeah, well, it was a sort of life-defining thing, really. Mm -hmm. I, you know, who knows what life would have been like if we hadn't had to go through all of that. Yeah. And, but, you know, what I do know is that Georgie wants me, mm. even though the outcome is negative in our case, mm. 
she would want me to be trying to find better ways yeah. of I mean, the, the cure rate has massively improved. Mm. When Georgie was diagnosed with leukemia, the cure rate for acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is the common mm. form of childhood leukemia, was only 60%, whereas now it's 95%. Yeah. But on the other hand, the treatment, you know, you're filling children with poison in order to cure mm. them in inverted commas. And we still don't fully know what the long-term effects will be of secondary cancers later in life and the effect on the brain and learning and so on and so forth. Yeah. So there has to be a better way. And, you know, there's an awful lot of advancement medically now with, you know, trying to activate people's immune systems. Immunology is playing. Going to play yes, that's sort of role. coming down the line, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I thank you so much. And, and it sounds like the most incredible organisation. Is there a sort of website if people want to donate or get involved? Or Yes. Yes, if they just type in Anthony Nolan, they right. can, you know, they can donate themselves. You know, they can join the register, or they can donate money, which yes. is obviously useful, especially <laughs> at this moment in time. So yes, you know, anything that anyone can do to help would be massive. Well, I'd offer you some of my stem cells, but they're awfully old, and I suspect rather used. Yeah, I think <laughs> you and me aren't the target. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Nicola. Lovely to speak to you. Next, we are joined by my friend and brand new Daily Mail beauty columnist, Hannah Betts. Hello, Hannah. Hello. So, Hannah, you have got a new column in Inspire on a Monday about beauty. I have. It's a whole page. I know. Uh, cool. And there's wow. a strap line. You've got a strap line, which I think yeah. is better, not younger or something. Better, not younger. Oh, uh, very good. I like it. actually, I think I am better. I think we all are, aren't we? Aren't <laughs> well, we? Uh, personally, I think as we as one gets older, one gets better. Generally speaking, yeah. But you've done this turf before, haven't you? Because when you were my beauty columnist predecessor at the Times a thousand years I ago, it's like a sort of Olympic battle. I know. Keep handing to each yes. other, isn't it? Yes. You're like um, Roger yes. Federer, and I'm like I don't know Martina Navratilova. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might be Andy Murray in this context, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, Quite angry. So yeah, angry very, Murray. Angry, yeah, angry Murray. But yes, tell us about the column and you know what readers can expect. Well, it's very exciting. I used to do a weekly beauty column back when in my early 30s. And obviously things, things looked rather different then. <laughs> pre-contour, pre-Kardashian. Mm. And it's, it's really interesting coming back to it at 50 because you sort of think nothing changes. But it really does. And I've definitely suddenly started doing less is more, having mm. always been a bit of a ladyboy. Mm. I am now chiseling it off rather than chiseling it on. And I do think we all reach an age where we suddenly think, gosh, probably better to do things a bit differently mm. or we'll end up looking like one of the old women on Coronation Street. Mm. Whereas I'd rather look like Julianne Moore, Viney. Correct. Quite like to look like that. Wouldn't we all? Um, so, so less makeup and sort of probably more skincare. And what about sort of holistic stuff, sort of, I don't know, wellness and all that kind of thing? There'll be a bit of that. I'll be yeah. doing a bit of tree hugging. Yes. Quite into my aromatherapy. Yes. Never not smelling of aromatherapy associates or something. Yes. Love perfume. Oh my God. Well, don't we? I mean, we both do don't we and Imogen too I'm sure I think yes, perfume, yeah. perfume is very important especially if you're as you get older it's it's it's, it's one of life's great joys I mean during the pandemic it was as much as I could do to walk downstairs yeah. you know and a bit of bit of a spritz and you're mm. there aren't mm. you mm. I'm not one of these women that stopped doing beauty 
in the pandemic. And I, I don't think male readers are either. I think we all realised how much we need it in order to feel human. But isn't it interesting? I, I remember when I was writing my beauty column when I was sort of 32 or something absurd like that. And I would write these frightfully sort of arsey pieces going, well, I'm never going to have Botox. And, <laughs> and I think people who put fillers in their faces are stupid. And then, of course, you get to the age of 47 and you look in the mirror and you think, Jesus Christ, I need Botox and fillers really quickly. Take me to the emergency room. Quite. And I think that sort of women's attitude towards themselves changes quite radically as they get older, doesn't it? Yeah. It's funny. I, I In my 30s, my mother chose not to speak to me for 10 years. Um mm. And unfortunately, she's dead now. Uh, so I missed out on rather a lot. But I look like her. I am haunted by the face of my mother uh, mm. daily. And that's always interesting. Having vowed not to become her, you do at least become her visually. You, you, I mean, you'd be fine. Your mother is gorgeous. Well, no, people keep telling me that I look more and more like my mother, which in my case is actually a huge relief because I used to look like my father, which is not brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> do you, but Hannah, do you, do you think we get stuck in a sort of makeup rut? That you that you were you you've got your sort of slap on routine, yes. and that you uh, and because I don't think I've changed what I no. look like for about thirty years. Because you know the, the temptation is to put on the same old, same old, isn't it? Mm. It is, and I think that's a bit fatal, actually. Mm. And I, I think it, it it both ages us because we're thirty years older, trying to look twenty, and that's mm. a bit weird and mm. a bit sort of Doctor Who. But I think it also ages us because textures and things have moved on mm. so much that actually the, the new technology is, is pretty astounding. And, mm. and again, you can use a bit less and get a bit more bang for your buck. And I, before I was a journalist, I used to study the Renaissance and looked at a lot of pictures of Elizabeth I. Mm. And I still I, I have days of thinking, no, I don't want to look like Elizabeth no. I when she was 60, trying to look 20. Yeah. I'd rather look like a sort of good-looking 50-year-old yeah. than a, a slightly scary, ready-for-my-close-up Norma Desmond 30-year-old. Yes, you need, a, um, you, need, you need a certain softness. I mean, for example, I think there are certain things that don't really work on older skins, e.g. liquid eyeliner. I think oh, you know, it, really? it's very difficult to do that. So, you know, when you're young, you can do the cat flick and it's completely smooth because yeah. you your eyelids don't have teeny tiny wrinkles all over them. And I think things like very matte lipsticks are quite difficult on Ooh. older people. You know, that yeah, that sort of awful kind of slightly haggy mouth because, you know, it's there are some things that are just very unforgiving and don't really work on older skins. No, and I think the fact is those are probably unforgiving on 20-year-olds as well. Mm. It's just that you don't care when you're 20. And no, it's fine to look true. older and draggy when you're 20. Yeah. It's just slightly less desirable at mm. our great age. Mm. Mm. So many joys of getting old. Anyway, yes, exactly. um, it's a brilliant new column and it contains all the information anyone could ever possibly need. And oh, you can, thank you. Well, uh, actually, a lot of my readers have told me that it's the first time they've wanted to buy in a while. That's good. And while I don't want to be the engine of capitalism, <laughs> I do think <laughs> that, you know, treating ourselves is, is quite good for It's really us, important. It? Exactly. We need it. Yes, we exactly. Thank you. That was our new Daily Mail beauty columnist who you can read on the paper on a Monday, Hannah Betts. And finally, it's everyone's favourite part of the show. We're joined now by Teresa Chung, spiritualist and author of the Encyclopedia of Birthdays. This week, Teresa, we have tasked you with looking into everyone's new favourite celebrity couple, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, or Benifer. <laughs> Teresa, honestly, honestly, this is just 
I think this is what the world needs right now. Oh, it is. You say new favourite celebrity couple. I think they've always been our favourite secret. <laughs> Actually, you know. I'd slightly forgotten about them, if I'm honest. Yeah, I had two it, well, it has been quite a long time, because they, they were first together in, the, I don't know, the 1930s or something. I remember, you're way too young to Sarah to remember that, but I remember <laughs> it well, and I remember feeling a bit broken-hearted when they split up, because they are made for each other they're very cute they're written in the stars they are made for each other and i do predict that this will survive this time round for, for reasons i can quickly explain oh, and even if it doesn't they're going to remain in each other's lives either as friendly exes or in some way because mm. they are so compatible i must be honest if ben affleck was in my life i literally would not let him escape ever <laughs> I would lock all the doors. You'd be a he's ridiculously oh, handsome, isn't he? I mean, it's just absurd. Well, he's got, he's got his. I mean, the thing is, she's such a challenge, JLo, because he's potentially someone who loves herself more mm. than any, anyone else in the world. Yeah. He also loves himself. And what Leos love, because they're both Leos. <gasps> so, what Leos love, not only are Leos pure drama and passion, they're the yeah. superstars of the zodiac, but in their partners, they love to see themselves reflected. Yeah. So, what you're getting here is they're falling in love with themselves yeah. again. <laughs> So it's a massive when, narcissistic fe sort of fest, basically. Yes, it is. It is. But when they met so young, they weren't quite mature enough to get over themselves. Yeah. And what I'm hoping is that time, because they've both had other relationships, yeah. that they've kind of got over themselves just a teeny bit so that they're ready because they are so perfect for each other. And Leo's, people think it's chaotic, but it really, really can work it can click between the two of them because leo's people underestimate how generous leo mm. can be and what the future of this relationship will will be if ben Affleck acknowledges jlo's superiority kind of like always puts yeah. her first yes it's going to yes. work then it's only if he meets someone who's going to make him feel a bit more special that it, it's not going to work but if if she has just learned to temper herself a bit yes and allows him a, to share the spotlight <laughs> it could really really work this time and i'm excited because they both got moon in scorpio as well so they both very intense and connected emotionally they understand each other very well they're great communicators well they just they, they just look other. like they're having such a lovely time i mean let's look at it they're both do you think so i i keep looking at those photographs thinking that he looks like he'd rather be somewhere else well maybe she's too draining you know as, as i yeah. say it's all going to be about j-lo getting over herself if she can yeah. just do that a little bit i hope she knows she's matured a bit and mm. we'll realize she's got ben affleck come on. <laughs> come on come on love you've got ben affleck come on i mean really you know, <laughs> I do worry, actually, looking astrologically, I think the only person who could tempt him right now, because she's born on the same day, is Jennifer Lawrence. Um, ah. Another Leah. <laughs> so yes. Keep him away from Je another Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> but, you know, it could well work. But I think even if they split up again, they yeah. will still, they, there's some written in the stars. Honestly, it's so dramatic. And that's what Leo loves. It, it is written in the stars. And astrologically, the compatibility is very, very strong. They get each other on a soul level. So, um, so who else do Leos are Leos compatible with? What other star signs work with well, Leos? Basically, the person they see in the mirror themselves. Right. I mean, Leo, <laughs> okay. If they could fall in love with themselves, that would be enough. <laughs> Ideal. They've got to find someone, someone who mirrors them, or is excessively um, complimentary and always puts them first. Teresa, right. do you think it's ever a good idea to go out with an ex-boyfriend? Because normally. 
there's a reason why they're an X because it didn't work out in the first place? Or do you think astrologically that the stars realign in a better way later on? I do think that we meet people in our lives because we've got to learn from them. And if the lesson hasn't been learned, as it clearly wasn't the first time around, you meet again and you yeah. can learn again. I do think maturity and life lessons, I mean, that's why people are attracted to each other because they offer them something, either it's a lesson yeah. or, or some, something to, to, I hate that word, complete them. But, you know, that's what, what the attraction is. And I think with, with, with Affleck and Lopez, they have lessons to learn from each other. Well, thank you, Teresa. Thank you very much for, you. For, for enlightening us on the, on the benefit. It's just the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> just like this podcast. Just, well, we don't like, we, I wouldn't want to flatter ourselves too much. But anyway, thank you. That was Teresa Chung, our resident spiritualist. If you enjoy listening to The Female Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Westminster Wag. You've been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine and Imogen Edwards-Jones. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>